Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lumumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. I am sitting across from my homeboy. <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we're both Jacksonians, yeah. and so uh, we have a deep love for this space, and um, it's. I think we probably treat it a little bit like family. Uh, we can talk about it, but no one else can. Richard Ford, welcome. Thank you, Evan. It's lovely to get to do this with you. This is uh, the best part of my day today. I've been looking forward to it since we agreed to, to sit down and chat, so... Let's have some fun. Let's go. Well, you're you're back home. We're in Mississippi. Yes. Now we are in our hometown of Jackson, and uh, you were here for the literary festival. But I wonder how it feels when you come home. What what are those feelings that descend on you as soon as you cross the the boundaries or touch down? What are those old feelings? Well, there are more new feelings than there are old feelings. Fantastic. Because a lot of the old feelings were feelings that I probably ran away from uh-huh. when I was uh, able to, which right. was in 1962. Um, typical, I guess, of most kids in high school, even though I think a lot of my classmates uh, nostalgically remembered in mm. more technicolor terms than it was. I, sure. I really was happy to leave in 1962. Yeah. So when I come back, what, I'm, what I've been able to do over these now nearly 60 years is, is, to, is to reaffiliate myself in a different way. I like that. And, and, so I have, you know, I have some of my old friends, mm-hmm. which is great, and which is precious to me. And I have a bunch of people that I probably who maybe weren't even here then, right? And, and whom I have met since you know, that time. And and so the whole conjuries of people here for me seems entirely new and fresh. And so, so that's it's almost a new space. Oh, of course, the space that is, you yeah. you somehow recognize. Yes, I mean, you know this. Fortunately, I I was a kid in Little Rock also when I was young, Mm -hmm. and when Little Rock was urban renewed, Mm -hmm. they they did something to the streets which caused me not to know where I was in Hmm. uh, in the old previous terms. That hasn't happened in Jackson quite as much because the interstates go around the town, leaving what's in the middle of the town, at least in terms of its cardinal points, for me, quite familiar and recognizable. There's something there's something quaint and warm about that, I think. I think so too. One of the things it does for me is, and this this will sound maybe over sentimentalized. The older you get, and I'm 75, the older you get, Beautiful. you kind of grow a long way away in time <laughs> from from the person you were. Oh, yeah. And I'm not very different from the person I was, except in except in 100 percent of the ways. Mm-hmm. That's a release, though. There's some things I want to keep. <laughs> yeah. And so coming to Mississippi and living in Mississippi off and on, as Christina and I have done, is, is re- reminds me that this is a continuous life rather than just me living out on its, yeah. on, out on its borders here in the 70s, mm-hmm. my 70s. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that because oftentimes, especially when we are younger, we feel that the, the, that's the impetus, sort of. That's the point that, we're, that everything else is going to emanate from. And so kind of what I hear you saying is this it's this lovely growth that we have the opportunity to experience and the relief is that there's some familiarity along the way but we don't have to hold on to all of the the baggage that could weigh us down. There were lots of things that one would have wanted to uh, uh, both disabuse yourself of Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. dispossess yourself of. Absolutely. From from those times. As we said yesterday you and I uh, at the the book fair turbulence. Uh, Exactly. um, So um, and when we see the rumblings of that, I mean, yes. 
we won't make this hyper political, but I think it's impossible to talk about anything valuable today without acknowledging the politics of it. That was probably true in the 19th century, too, in the 16th century. That's a scary thing, though, I think. You know, scary in a way that just kind of jolts us into uh, acknowledging who we are as human beings and how we've grown and how we've kind of stayed stagnant. That's right. Well, um, writing novels all my life, Mm -hmm. I've I've never not understood that every novel that I write is a political novel, whether it's about whether it's about leadership Mm -hmm. or whether it's about who's the president or or what the racial situation is in the country or what the immigration is. It's always how history affects the lives of individuals. That's exactly it. It's so refreshing to hear such a seasoned writer admit that, that everything I'm writing is political. And it doesn't mean that you have this sort of draconian, you know, message for us all. But far from it, because we are interacting within these realms where politics are involved and you can't write a believable character. No. Without weaving in. Right. Politics. I mean, morals. Thank you for saying that. Morals, you know, what, what's good and what's bad, um, are in a way the subject of imaginative literature because you're always writing about what causes what. Mm. If you do this, then this will be the consequence, and that's kind of the that's kind of the petri dish of of morality. This I causes agree. that. I mean, morality, I'm going to put that in a course syllabus. If you, you do please. this, then this will then happen. this will happen. If you don't do this, yes, I'm, I'm not telling you not to do it, but <laughs> exactly. I want but I want you to know there's that a fallout if you do this, from that, and it might not be what convention tells you to expect. I, that's mar- that's marvelous advice, even a perhaps a T-shirt. So you referenced. Yeah, we were together yesterday. Yes. we've been hanging out all weekend. Yes, we have. Which is probably the coolest thing that I can say about my 2019 is that I hung out with Richard Ford whole weekend in Jackson. Oh, thank you very much. But we were at the Mississippi Book Festival and the start of that day uh, began with your Mississippi Writers Trail literary marker. A highlight of my life. Well, listen, I got to be there to see you receive it. And I've been to this. That was my fourth uh, marker uh, unveiling. So you were there when Jessamine well, no, I didn't. I missed Jessmine's. I Eudora Welty. Oh, great. Uh, Margaret Walker. Great. And Ida B. Wells. But yes. you have been the only living author that I've gotten to witness see the the tarp come off of the <laughs> veil. I mean, the the the. Can sign. you tell the difference between the living and the not living? It's a pretty equal experience. <laughs> <laughs> Both are, you know, stunned and yeah. you know, immovable. So, talk to us about. The feeling of that, especially since you've shared 1962, you, like many of us, when we were graduating from high school and perhaps for different reasons, were ready to leave. See what the rest of the world looked like. See what the world had to offer. Yeah. And you come back 2019 and there's a sign with a blurb of your story and your contribution and your name dedicated to your contribution to not just Mississippi, right, but uh, the literary world at large. How... What was the feeling of being honored in that way? Well, as I, as I said in the remarks that I made, if I were a person who wished for things, mm-hmm. and I'm really not a person who wishes for things, I try not to, I, I try not to invest in things that I can't control, mm. and I couldn't control that. There's but if I, if I were a person who wished for things, that probably would have been That'd what been I would have wished list. for. <laughs> you know, that would have been pretty high up, high up there uh, because it made me feel, as I said, it made me feel that what I've done for the last 50 years, however I've done it and wherever yeah. I've done it, 
has been useful to the place where I started life. And to, and to be able to think that you've been of use mm -hmm. to a place that, that needed so much at the time that I left and that even and needs does. a lot yeah. today because you, husband, you were both in politics in one way or right. another. Right, in one way or the other. You know that that's serving a need. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. public service. We at least hope so. Well, and literature is a kind of public service. It's I looked agree. at that way. Yeah, I think the opportunity that we have um, as writers is this tool that can be used to show people things that they may not see you hope so readily in their everyday and, lives and that's different from what in a, particularly in a conservative state like mississippi mm -hmm. conservative intellectually conservative spiritually sure. conservative economically um that convention is not the only mm -hmm. source of intelligence like sometimes that. the imagination like can be a source of intelligence you just just sort of all of the time yeah all of the time. And and very honestly, I, I remember reading A Piece of My Heart and Sports Writer, and that was an entrance for me into a life that I had no, I felt that I had no connection with on the surface. But then these characters emanated from true human experiences. And so um, yesterday at the festival, uh, one of the authors that I was working with, Gloria Adam, yes. said that the beauty, of, the beauty of literature, and I'm paraphrasing, is that we have this specificity that makes the universality possible. That's one of the things Eudora believed. Uh, it, it, you know, there's on, on her plaque, Christina mm -hmm. and I were just looking at her plaque this morning, and she Beautiful said something, and I'll paraphrase it poorly, but she said, to know one place very well is to help you to learn and know every place better. And, um, and, boy, and she, know she, she lived well. that. And it didn't I restrict agree. her. It didn't make her a regional writer. Well, she she was an explorer because of that. That's right. Because of what I know here, let's figure out what's happening that's ex that's elsewhere. Exactly right. I think that's a marvelous perspective to have. But you know, in an age in which we're all kind of divided up into identity groups, mm -hmm. sure. It is. I've noticed in in my life that it is sometimes the case that young readers of whatever their orientation mm -hmm. only read about their orientation. Yeah, and, or and, what they think, right. <laughs> you and, know, and their category you is. What, what you just said was, yeah. you read A Piece of My Heart. Well, that's about a bunch of white people up in the Delta, by and large. Yeah. And, and, and There's TVA. Many people would say, well, why do I want to read about that? Sure. Well, why do I want to read about Chekhov? Why do I want to read about about Russia in mm -hmm. the latter part of the 19th century? And I didn't when it was assigned. No, neither did I. <laughs> Full disclosure. Did I. I but to say, I don't want to read something because it's not like me, Yeah, it's just to admit a kind of defeat. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And it's a really tragic sort of perspective to take on about how to live with humanity. And it's going to get narrower and narrower the yeah. further down that road you go. I think perhaps that's what's plaguing a lot of, uh, you know, what we see happening around our world now that folks exactly are kind of right. wanting to close in and be insular. And I don't think that's possible for no. the human experience. No, you can't, if you'll excuse the expression, wall the world out. <laughs> I will accept the expression. <laughs> you can't. It's no. no civilization can thrive if it seeks to, you know, be on its own. Exclude. Exclude, exactly. It won't work. No I matter agree. how many times you try to put your hands over your ears or close your eyes or avert your gaze or build mm -hmm. a wall against what's happening, it, it isn't, it isn't what going you don't to understand work. or Maybe what you it'll don't work like. for a week. Yeah. And what does it mean to work? Right. right. It just means that you don't get the opportunity to experience. Right. In literature, imaginative that. literature, just like your imagination, my imagination, sure. it's inclusive. I it agree. asks in. You're traveling the world without moving a step, I right. think, uh, which I stole that. It's not mine. 
That's from good, something I read. <laughs> I steal most of the things that I end up. Now reading. we admit it, and we put it on wax. <laughs> <laughs> we're all plagi- we're all plagiarists. So, I want to talk a little bit about you mentioned wealthy. You've yeah. mentioned, and then we mentioned Chekhov, sort of, right. <laughs> not in the same vein. But as we talk about you as such a prolific, successful writer, I'm interested in those writers that you celebrate. Before we started recording, we even had a chat about Toni Morrison, who we just lost, uh, I mean, a juggernaut in the literary community and the world at large. And also really, if you'll excuse the expression, a really fun person to be around, (laughs) a laugher. Oh, that's so... Not an excluder in in, in any way. Right. And we wouldn't expect her to be as her readership, right? I think I developed... This personality of who I felt she would be before I ever well, you can't. was She's in so the room prodigious. with her. You said prodigious. She was a prodigious she person. She was. She was. She I, was. When I met her, she asked me about pecan pie. <laughs> and I was so relieved <laughs> That's what she had that I mind. could answer the question. <laughs> and it wasn't something deeply uh, profound. It just made me comfortable in my skin. And I think her writing did that as well. So talk to me about those writers, even maybe some peers and colleagues that You've read and you read again and you appreciate their contribution. Well, I teach at Columbia, and mm-hmm. so um, I I taught uh, Black Boy last year. And oh, I and I, I taught it because it's a great book, but I, I taught it in terms of sense of place because I was trying to expand, yeah. if not explode, the, the, the sense of place. Mm-hmm. And Wright talks a lot about, you right. know, Jackson and he talks does. a lot about Memphis and talks a lot about Chicago, places where I've lived. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was very interested in that. I was always very proud of the fact that Richard Wright was from Jackson. I still am. Because when we, because when we grew up, of course, when I grew up going to Murray High School, mm-hmm. we did not talk about. I Richard graduated Wright. from Murray as well. Just you another did? fact. Yeah. Wow. That's fine. But I, I love that you taught Black Boy, and you're acknowledging that when you were coming of age in the place that Richard Wright uh, writes about in his autobiography. You weren't learning about no. who he was. No, you weren't no, no. being encouraged or that to who, read or that he existed. That he existed at all. Right. So by the time you graduated high school, I mean he was gone. Yes. But I I presume that he was never a part of your academic conversation. Well, he got to be because I did a part of my master's degree in in, in black studies, what was then Fantastic. called black studies at the University right. of California Irvine. Yeah. So I, I thought to myself, there's something I something I've come from the South not knowing. Mm. I think I need to. I think I need to, to to reach back to stuff that maybe. What did I miss? Yeah, Arna Bontemps and people people like that. What a marvelous question to ask yourself as you're in that educational process. What did I miss? Right. And I like that because you're from Mississippi right. and you're a writer. And I think as Mississippians, uh, there's a lot that we can miss. Oh yeah, well inevitably you you just can't you, when you you're can't that take age oh, your brain's sure. got too many other things in it. Yeah. So the stuff that you will absorb when you're older. You, you weren't available to, I mean, you know, if you were really, really, really smart, if you were Keats, sure. for instance, you would have. <laughs> Which I don't think any of my graduating class, no, myself no, included, were. No, it was my graduating class full yeah. of Keats's. No. Yeah, but it was actually, you know, truthfully, it was an easy call mm. in 1970 to, to think to myself, here's an opportunity which I'd never had at Michigan State mm. uh, to, to learn something about basically the South and race and the literature that the difference in race races uh, you know produced it was it was it was an easy call to do that i just thought well of course do that i'm 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 just so fascinated and our lives are intersecting in all of these marvelous ways i lived in lansing for 
a little while. Yeah, my mother went to Michigan State. So, but the way that that community is affected by the South, right? Like Lansing, East Lansing, folks that were there for the automotive uh, boom and... And Malcolm X. And Malcolm X. (laughs) And his mother was born in Lansing. Yeah. Yeah, in the same hospital I was born in. I mean, we could do this all day. Yeah, we could. Sparrow Hospital, no doubt. Sparrow Hospital, absolutely. At least that's what's on the birth certificate. Yeah. So, but I, I like this conversation and the way that it's going because... What we are doing is demonstrating in real time all of these intersections that we possess, regardless of our station in life, regardless of where our careers will and have uh, taken us, and these identity markers that we adopt, and some of them are projected onto us. And some of them are quite useful. Sure. Some of them are quite useful, and and some of them are not useful. Yeah. Some of them I, you know, celebrate more than others. Many things we just didn't have any choice in. Very true. You know. Yeah. So we have to kind of say, yes, I am this. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am not that. But after you say that, you say, yes. And what can we do to draw ourselves into the same conversation? Into the same conversation with some uh, generosity. Yeah. And, yeah. Some and imagination. And imagination. Yeah. One of the things that I found when I first started studying uh, your work, I found fascinating that you were from Jackson. Um, but you are very different Mississippi writer than many other Mississippi writers who immediately in their writing celebrate Mississippians one way or the other or focus on Mississippi, even our contemporary writers. So Akiese Lehman and Jessamyn Ward and Angie Thomas, Uh, even though, you know, in Angie's text, she's not specifically talking about Mississippi, but there is this sort of focus that remember, hey, y'all, I'm from Jackson. I'm from Mississippi. I want you to know that I always found you, especially in your earliest works, to move away from that very deliberately. Yes, I did. And my guess was always that uh, the turmoil that you experienced and sort of the some of the hypocrisy even from your own community in Jackson when you were younger sort of encouraged you to disavow certain things. Is that it? Or I wish now I, could, I can I, ask you. I wish I could be high-minded about this. But I, Go I ahead. Can't, I, won't I can't tell. be very high-minded <laughs> about it. I, I figured out after the first novel I wrote um, that I didn't know anything to say about Mississippi. I like hmm. the, the writers that you, you know, excellent, wonderful writers whom you just listed. I thought that if you grew up in Mississippi, being a kind of a literary landscape, mm-hmm. that that was that was what you did. You either celebrated it or you now didn't celebrate something. it, or you wrote about it. And what I figured out was that everything I knew about Mississippi. Uh, I'd either learned from Faulkner or Eudora, and I was going to spend the rest of my life going over plowed ground. And so so I just thought after two books, I have have got to find some place to set my stories where I was the world's greatest expert. Because I could not be the world's greatest expert. So you didn't want to redo Mrs. excellence. Like, no. I'm not going to go up against Welty and Faulkner and Tennessee Williams and or, or, those or folks. Barry Hanna or Barry or, Hanna. Or, or, you know, who I was mean, my great pal. Goes but on. I thought to myself, wow, he's doing that. I can't even be in the room huh. with that. So I had to go find something that I could do. So it was much less high-minded than practical. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I find that even a lot of the writers that we get to interview for this series, right, on Mississippi— Regardless of where they're from, they're in West Virginia and yes. uh, Alabama. Those are, they feel drawn to write about home and good, good for. I, I have no complaints with that. Yeah. If I could have done it 
as well as Barry Hanna did it. <laughs> I suspect I'd be doing it. I suspect you could have. No, no, <laughs> no. There, there are there are things that we have to realize yeah. that are better than we can do. Huh. You, you're always living around your betters. That's okay. Uh, always living around your betters. Aren't we? It's a good I, place to be. It's not bad as long yeah. as it doesn't drive you crazy. Yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't drive me crazy. I just thought, okay, you go do well, that. Well, it drove you to some, some brilliance, some well, pretty I, profound It didn't keep me from work. trying hard. And that's the thing, I yeah. think, that, yeah. that stands out. I'm very sincere when I, I, because of what I thought about why you weren't writing about Mississippi right. and all of the Mississippi writers I'd read to that point had— yeah. Or at least written about the South. Yeah. I mean, not only did you not write about Mississippi, but you took it clean to another region right, uh, and, and several texts. And um, I thought it was brave. And I wondered, well, then where do you get the fodder? How do you write about something that's so, that seemed so disparate? You, well, I don't think From I, your reality. You, you, and I know we're not talking about the formula for doing that. No, no. But, but, but. What you have to do is, is is to identify a feeling about something that is foreign to you mm. that is like something that you feel about what is familiar to you. In other words, it puts a lot of emphasis on me yeah. rather than on the uh, on the objectifiable place. So if I can say, I feel this way about New Jersey mm-hmm. or about the real estate profession, all mm-hmm. these things I've written about, which is not very different from how Walker Percy felt, felt about New Orleans, New Orleans. Yeah. or that anybody or that anybody feels about anything, then it becomes mine again. Huh. I don't have to I don't have to struggle with it again. Well that expands I think our ability to yeah. know what we haven't known. To empathize. To empathize. But the old notion, Hemingway's old notion, which I know you knew from graduate school, to write about only what you know. Mm-hmm. Well, at least if I had written about what I knew in 1962 <laughs> or 1966, I, I wouldn't have <laughs> written anything. So I had to find out what no means. No means what can I affiliate myself with that up to now I haven't known. The deeper knowing. Yeah. What we know to be true are these feelings that right. we have and how we respond That's right. to certain things. It it's not it, the actual thing. It makes it seem quite selfish. It does. Because it makes me makes me the you know, the arbiter of everything. But I am the arbiter of everything. You are the arbiter of that. I think yeah. we should add to the sign, the Mississippi Writers Trail sign. We're here, um, and Christina has said she doesn't want to speak, but she's in the studio. Yes, so is. I just want to greet her and acknowledge your lovely remarks yesterday yeah. uh, about how integral yeah. uh, your life partner, your wife of 50 years? Uh, has 51 50? years, actually. 51. Now. I will not, years together. I will not take away a year from you. No, I want um, it. And I just want to say how lovely I thought those remarks were because you acknowledged that the partnership uh, made your individual success possible. Oh yes, and in, in in every in every conceivable way. Um, when we were just yeah. about to get married in, in 1968, and and I had just left law school, and we were I was living with my mother in mm-hmm. Little Rock. Christina came down. We were sort of planning our wedding, and she said, sort of casually one day, she said, as, as a young bride might, she said, <laughs> well, "What are you going to do?" She said, "When we get married, I love that reasonable." Question. I said, "Well, sweetheart, I said I, th- I think I'm going to try to be a writer. I mean, I might as well have said I'm going to try to be a small engine repairman." And she said, "Oh, great!" She said, "Let's do that." She said, "You do that, and I'm I want to work, so I'll get a job and work." And so um, I got used to that. 
I got used to that. I could get used to that. And I've (laughs) got to get used to doing that, Christine. Thank you for the education I just received. (laughs) But I don't want to make it sound like uh, that life was that practical. Sure. I mean, we weren't very practical at all. I mean, it was nuts. Sometimes it doesn't pay to be. It doesn't pay to be practical. I mean, if you could have seen the look on my mother's face when I said to her (laughs) that I'm going to be a writer, it was very different from the look on Christina's face. Well, good thing that you ultimately only had to live with Christina. That's right. We made we made some calculated choices. There. Uh-huh. I've been there, I think, and done that. <laughs> I want to thank you for taking time out Gee. to be home what a treat. and to chat with me. This has been truly lovely to get to know you. Thank you. In this way, after knowing your writing for so many years well, um, before. Believe me, it's, it's our great pleasure. The last question I'll ask, and it's because you're my homeboy, is what Mississippi means to you. Um, you can do that in one word, two words, a sentence. It's, it's, it's a place I go on imagining. That is lovely. And by the way, whoever the gubernatorial you know, successor is, that's a great tagline for the state. Some place <laughs> where we go on imagining. Yeah, Let's better. get that on some signage. We have to, yeah. to survive. Thank you, Richard Ford. Thank you, Reverend. This what is, a great pleasure. This was a joy, absolute joy. Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's literary lawn party. 